The Incomparable Podcast, number 62, October 2011. We're back on The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and it is time for another edition of our book club, where we meet um, over Skype because we don't actually have a book club in real life, only the internet. We are here to discuss two 1,000-page-long fantasy novels, A Dance with Dragons by George R.R. Martin and The Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss. Now, this conversation is, in fact, going to be so long that we're going to start it here, do one episode about A Dance with Dragons, take a break, and come back with a second episode about The Wise Man's Fear. So, joining me today to talk about these gigantic fantasy tomes are Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. I just want to let you know that I put the Dan in Dance with Dragons. Good. Dan's with dragons, really. Exactly. I am, in fact, right now with dragons. With dragons. Excellent. Serenity Caldwell is here as well. I am. Do you have any dragons near you? I have no dragons. I am dragon-free. That's a shame. Uh, John Syracuse also joins us. Hi, John. No spoilers, Jason. No spoilers. You're going to be silent for, for the first half of this podcast because you haven't you haven't read the Game of Thrones books, or have you only read the first one? I've not read any of them. My wife actually started reading them after right. seeing the TV show, but right. I'm, I don't have room for that in my life right, right. now. Right. So you'll watch the TV show and want to remain unspoiled. Exactly. All right. So we, we, we would otherwise spoil the whatever sixth <laughs> no, season, yeah, no seventh season. No spoilers for 2017, John. <laughs> You're cool. That's right. Well, it'll spoil everything in between, right? By exactly. Yeah. People are alive or dead. Mm-hmm. And Scott McDulty also joins us. He reads everything. Hi, Scott. Hello. Yes, it's good to it's good to hear your voice. It's good to be heard. All right, so I dance with dragons, fifth mm-hmm. book in the uh, in the A Song of Ice and Fire series, which will um, cover roughly seven between seven and ninety volumes by the time <laughs> it's done. Um, uh, I think volume uh, volume seventy four. I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, that'll be good. That's that'll like be a good one. Uh, a hop. Every, all the pieces, all the pieces will be in place. Yeah, a hop with heffalumps. The story can really begin. Yeah, that's when they go to Hogwarts. <laughs> that's when they kill off the last of the main characters, and we've met an entirely new cast. The people you think are main characters are not. They're not. No. In fact, it's an entire book. Uh, volume seventy-two is entirely about Raph the Sweetling. Awesome. He finally gets his due. <laughs> he gets he gets killed. Well, that was a callback That's to one due. of our previous episodes. I don't even remember which one, but yes, one of the many previous episodes. So, so Dance with Dragons. I think the first thing to talk about about this book is that um, the previous book, A Feast for Crows, is this weird, really weird book where he took chunks of the book he was writing and pulled them out and published them in order to not go ten years between books. But as a result. Um, the structure of A Dance with Dragons is very strange because sort of midway through, characters from the other book reappear and the first part of the book is in parallel with that other book to the point where, as I was as I was reading it, I kept thinking, you know, in the end, they're going to need to just tear the, this book and the other book apart and stick them together in order for anybody to make sense of it. Because, you know, it, it it's not a very good experience. You've got... Um, it's just it's very strange because because you know characters just reappear midway through and you're like oh right she was in a cliffhanger 
at the end of the last book, and then we didn't hear from her for 500 pages. It's very strange. Jason, it's it's actually a pretty good experience um, if you actually haven't read A Feast for Crows in six years, because as it turns out, you don't remember anything that happened anyways. I, I concur. It's coming pretty much coming fresh into it. Like, it's a whole new story. Who are these characters? As somebody who hadn't read A Feast for Crows uh, and then went into it, read it, and then immediately read Dance with Dragons, I think I finished Feast for Crows three days before Dance with Dragons came out. Uh, it actually, in my opinion, holds together just fine. It's a it's a little weird overlap, but at the same time, I mean, I've read enough weird fantasy books where they're like, this is going to be in the present, and this is going to be in the past, and this is going to... Yeah, but wouldn't, wouldn't it work better if you just took the chapters in Feast for Crows and sort of slotted them into Dance with Dragons and made it one giant 1,500-page novel instead? I mean... Define better. <laughs> Honestly, I actually like telling the stories in chunks because when they, what, like when you think of... What's the one before it? Storm of Swords? Is that the the big giant the one? Gigantic That's one. Yeah. Three. The the thing that really frustrates me about the R. R. Martin series is just the rapid, you know, interchange of characters and being like, "All right, we're at a cliffhanger," and then we don't get to find out what happens to this person for five hundred pages because right. we're going to go visit all the other characters. So actually, having um, having Feast for Crows just focus mostly on the Lannisters and focus on their story, I actually found really nice because it was very easy to follow. It's like all the characters you hate in one convenient location. <laughs> well, and then they give you so much to hate about them. So, I mean, and then yeah, if you hate, love, if love you, to hate, I love to exactly. hate. Exactly, I misunderstood. It's true, but no, I actually I don't feel like it was uh, it was weird, and I actually prefer it that way. I, I got to say, you know, uh, on sort of a connected topic um, to characters that I hate. Uh, yes, that that the Dance with Dragons also finally gave me another narrator that I actually liked. Or, like, as a character who I actually, um, you know, feel positively about, I guess. <laughs> like might be a strong word because I'm, I'm not sure there is more than, than like, one or two that I like. Um, but that, that was refreshing. There are so many people, there are so many characters in these books who are just, like, you know, you read, you read a chapter from the point of view of Cersei and you're like, man, I cannot get behind you no matter what <laughs> you do. So who, who do you like? Uh, I, I like uh, Sir Barristan. Ah, uh. Ah, oh, Sir Barristan. He's a, he's he's a he's a stalwart dude, right? Like he is he's one of the few like legitimately honorable people in this in this world. Um, and so it is refreshing to every once in a while in a world that is so populated with admittedly fascinating you know characters from different shades of gray. It is nice at least to get one character who seems to have a code that they hang on to. Um, yes, but he's challenged, right? Even he is conflicted and challenged, but in a way that, like, he tries to really, you know, stick to his beliefs as he goes through that. Um, and, and, I mean, that, that makes him, that keeps him from being boring. Um, I, I just, you know, it's, it's nice to have a character who is, who is someone that you can actually think, oh, man, you know, I hope this, I hope this guy survives. He's not going to. <laughs> There's so many characters where it's like, man, I don't care if you live or die. <laughs> you know, I actually really enjoyed Quentin Martell in this book. Which he's I wasn't expecting to. He's whiny. He's, he's a complete a doofus. He's a complete idiot. But I actually did we fire the, fire the spoiler around, Jason? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. He was he, dumb. He got eaten by a freaking dragon. I know. <laughs> but but he meant well. He meant well. no. You know what? I find I found his entire character arc 
hilarious. And the the fact that he, you know, I'm going to travel across the world to get a girl to marry me, a girl that I have never seen, a girl who may or may not exist. I just we're going to just kill off random members of our party. It was just such an entertaining story to follow. And he was so naive. Right. But I guess part of me felt like in a book that's a thousand pages, if you had cut out that entire subplot, would it have mattered? No. No, 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 not even remotely. That kind of stops me in my tracks because there, I think there are a lot of really good stories and arcs in this book. Um, and uh, it just it boggles my mind that we we spend our time on on people like Quentin Martell who, you know, I liked some of the characters and some of the like situations they drew with them. But I got to the end of it and thought, really, you brought this guy in just so you could have him put on, you know, well, basically burned from head to toe. So that, that that illustrates the destructive power of the dragons, right? I don't know if you need that illustration, but that's kind of his purpose is, you know, he goes after her. He he thinks he can control these dragons and he can't because only one person really can. But can he? Who, who can she? We don't know. It just seems a long way to go to prove a point. In defense of Quentin Martell, I think this sets up a very nice thing for the other Targaryen. The because I feel like this is a this is a oh, prelude. He's get murdered too. Come oh, on. of course he's going to get murdered. But I think it's an I think it's an interesting pre-parallel. And I mean, it also you might as well call him Prince Red Herring. <laughs> Prince MacGuffin. You know what? It kept it kept the early Daenerys stuff from being flat out boring. So the first third of this book, I almost walked away and didn't pick it back up. And I, it was very, very lucky that it got interesting about, I, I don't know how many Kindle pages in, but it was at least a third of the way through the book where it finally, the story finally picked up and was finally something that I felt like I could dig into. And you didn't like her story because there was too much kind of municipal wrangling? You know, well, the <laughs> municipal municipal wrangling is fine uh, as somebody who, you know, watched all the seasons of The West Wing and loved it, uh, but they made it very dull. Well, it was back and forth and back and forth. Reopen the fighting pits. No, I'm not going to reopen the fighting pits. No, seriously, reopen the fighting pits. No, I'm not going to do it. Like, it was like it was like 50 pages of that. No, don't forget the, oh, but what about my roguish... Uh, Secret lover that lover. appears out of nowhere. He's back and I love him, but I can't love him. But I do love him, but I can't love him. Reopen <laughs> the fighting pits. Is he really mentioned... I must pay the rent, but I can't pay the rent. <laughs> um... <laughs> Is he really uh, mentioned in earlier books? I mean, I yeah, know he, he exists, but yeah, he, he, he's mentioned several times. Yes, but is he mentioned as like her her lusty love, her her paramour? His, yeah, she's got like a, she's got like a crush on him, or in the earlier book, I think. And then you know, it's not they don't actually consummate it until this book. But he's clearly yeah. you know he's clearly got like some swagger behind him. Um, you know, he's trying to sort of seduce her. He's but swarthy. He's <laughs> swarthy and swashbuckly and all that. I was going to complain about the the Dornish men and also the Ironborn that I felt like one of my big complaints about the previous book is that we get introduced to all of these people in Dorn who who are like this they're the like the sisters the snakes or whatever Michael Dorn (sighs) he's awesome he is great I love him yeah it would have been better with him (laughs) if 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 the Dorn had been Worf and Klingons there is no honor in slaying a dragon that would have been great. Death to the opposition. I, I feel like we, we're – so we're how many thousands of pages into this series now and suddenly many. he's opened these whole sections of storyline that are characters we've never met before who are just sort of like conniving and yet it also feels like they're they're doomed to failure like Quentin Martell. I, I don't know. that That's actually one of my frustrations about this book and the previous book is that they're just big chunks that – I feel like if I had invested in that storyline since the beginning of the series, I might feel different about it. 
but having them be added, it's a little bit like um, when they added characters to Lost and everybody's like, oh, great, sure, more characters with mysteries. Well, Just what I think want. they deliberately added, I mean, the Dorn, Dorn is mentioned earlier on, but I think they added that he added them specifically as sort of a, a counterweight um, because the idea being, and, and, and I agree, it seems sort of backfilly in some ways to make these guys like, you know, so powerful that that their allegiance will actually make a difference, right, in this war. I mean, that's the whole point, right? That a lot of people are concerned, like, oh, if the Dornishmen ally with some other force or whatever, like, we could be in trouble. Um, and so they're kind of supposed to be a big deal. But at the same time, um, it, it does seem kind of late for them to come into the picture uh, and make a difference once we're five books and X thousand pages in. And during the whole, you know, open the fighting pits, close the fighting pits thing, you need to have some kind of uh, anchor to the main storyline of, you know, the Westeros War and stuff. So you right. don't get lost in this whole thing of, oh, I, I, there are people in masks killing other people and slavers don't like me and all this stuff. I see what they were trying to do with the with the Daenerys storyline and they're trying to say oh yes ruling a city not the easiest of work but again i feel like they proved that in feast for crows with cersei's crazy downfall and i'm not trying i'm not sure if they if the initial intention was to contrast again with you're saying jason about merging the books contrasting cersei's crazy crappy management of the government versus daenerys's still not very successful but maybe more tempered well it's it's more idealistic right? yeah like that's the whole point and she's she's set up to be another one of these characters that we're supposed to root for i think which it was weird because i felt like coming in uh and i said this i think in the earlier podcast where we talked about game of thrones i never really found myself sympathizing with her i mean i guess i i there was some sympathy in terms of like her situation being kind of crappy but it's because the whole book is predicated on the idea that like her father who was insane was kicked out as king it's like yeah i guess i don't see why you should be in charge then i mean and so i, I think we're supposed to to feel more positive about her after she's tried really hard to run this city and like grow and become <laughs> a real queen. Um, I'm a real queen. You know, I, I think, I think that's where the, he was trying to go with that, but it, it does get bogged down in seemingly in minutia. Well, and she gets the chance to basically leave the city and go back to Westeros, which is what she wants to do supposedly. And she says, no, I can't abandon my people. And you're like, no, just yeah. go. And go that, home. That, that would be far too interesting. I will stay here. Tell me more about the code, the tax code. Yeah. Man in a pig mask. Yeah. Well, I mean, plus we do have, we do have an intersection with the, the main ish story, which is that she sort of crosses paths with Tyrion, right? Like unknowingly, but he does show up on this other content on, on content continent. Well, he's down in the bottom of the fighting pits when the mm -hmm. dragon attack happens. Yeah, exactly. And so mm -hmm. they, they, and you kind of think these two characters again are set on this collision course. And then as so often happens in this books, they totally miss each other, <laughs> which was kind of annoying. Who knew that the dwarves and the pig and the dog in the, at, at, oh, yeah. at, at the wedding at Joffrey's wedding would end up back. becoming, yeah. Vitally important. <sighs> Very important. <laughs> Apparently the pig is Chekhov's gun. <laughs> there is that sad moment toward the end where, where Tyrion tells his, his friend, the other dwarf, he, he said, basically, you're they're, they've been eaten. <laughs> yeah. There's no way they've survived. Sorry, dear. We have to go. Oh. We're, we've joined up with the mercenaries now. Poor little yeah. tiny female dwarf. I felt 
so terribly bad for her the entire she you know a, a lot of rr martin's women get screwed around in this book but i i mean they do a very good job painting her as kind of the paragon of innocence and just watching it shatter away piece yeah. by terribly torn off piece is just a little heartbreaking a little sad you know her brother uh was killed horribly and 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 all she's got is the pig and the dog and uh and even Tyrion won't love her. No, he won't. It's true. Mm-hmm. That might be the noblest thing that he does, though. Yeah, no, it's true. I think. And, and you know, I, I really like, I really have always liked Tyrion, although I think he is a good example of a character who is got many, many gray areas, but is also very likable. Um, and I think we talked about that a bit in the in the podcast about the TV show, too, which is that, you know, his flaws are that well, up until, you know, the end of the previous book, he's really loyal to his family. Huh, yeah. Uh, right up until a certain point. Well, basically up until a point where he learns that that was not reciprocated, right? Right. You know, that he was not treated with the same loyalty that he was giving out all along. So, you know, he shoots his dad with a crossbow. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. 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 Like oh, so I, I have a question about, about, about Tyrion's story in this book. And it's, uh, where do whores go? Oh, no, wait. <laughs> Uh, that, that's the question he asks. It, it, I was a little disappointed that his story was, and this goes back to a point I think Ren made, which is, you know, you wait so long to get back to that character. And I feel as if George R. R. Martin is writing seven novels or eight novels about all the characters in these books, but you only get, a, you know, one seventh of the novel each time interleaved with all the other novels. I don't know. So I was a little disappointed in interior story arc where he's uh well, he spends a lot of time traveling right yeah. and not really mm. doing anything brushes with grayscale well but yeah right. i mean but the, the grayscale is a far more interesting victim elsewhere right and so it does i mean i think i think the question for me is Tyrion. like if you look at the arc and about what he did in this book right he traveled around a lot he introduced us to a lot of other characters but there's very little action that he undertakes right, right? Um, and that's that's disappointing after especially having such a major action in the last book, right? Is you know, we have that culminating point at the end of Feast for Crows and and you know, Dance of Dragons is is largely he's largely introspective, right? He spends a lot of his time thinking about things and not actually doing much. Again, I feel this is one of our Martin's weaknesses is that he tries I mean, I understand that you need to have character arcs in a in a long series and and having the introspective moments and having Daenerys showing that she can rule things and having Cersei's fall from Greece. You know, these are all important things, but I don't necessarily know if he can craft them properly. Like I feel like we could have very easily figured out that yes, Tyrion was feeling guilt and was feeling problems and and wants nothing more than to find Tasha, but she has, but he has to, you know, embark on this side journey as as part of you know his penance for fleeing, uh, fleeing Westeros. Uh, but I feel like that could have been wrapped up by a different writer in like two chapters. Even I mean, Tyrion gets what six or seven chapters in this in this book. Beginning, middle, end. Like beginning, middle, end. It's not that yes. you know. There's a, there's a very definite structure that you can do here, but it feels like a lot of middle here. Yes, it very yeah. much does. Well, it's 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 all middle for Tyrion in this book. It's all middle for for a lot of characters. It, this whole book is all middle, really. Yeah, a lot of it is. I mean, granted, there are I I you know having having been critical, I think there are things I really enjoyed. Um, I no none. No, you didn't. Enjoy Scott's it. right. I didn't enjoy anything about this book. <laughs> Um, no, I, I mean, 
All right. Well, okay. Hard to John, uh, John's storyline. Uh, oh. You know, John. John is one of the other most sympathetic characters. See, the problem with John's storyline, as much as you know, I guess maybe my my point of view is tempered by looking back and thinking about where that storyline ends. <laughs> um, yeah. You will mm. be betrayed. Oh yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever. Uh, your sister will appear. Well, she's not my sister, really. Well, it's similar. <laughs> but you will be betrayed. You know yeah. what I meant. <laughs> Well, I mean, I thought I, I really actually kind of in, you know, I liked his dilemma, right, with trying to figure out, like, well, should I, you know, bring the wildings over? And he's like, all right, I'm going to do this. And like everybody else was like, you're nuts. Crazy. Um, it was I mean, but it, it was a, it's a decision that from, you know, from John's perspective and seeing it through John's perspective, you're like this. This actually kind of makes sense. Right. This this seems like a, you know, a, an unpopular decision, but one that, that needs to be made. And there is a good argument that, like, these, at least these people are human, even if they don't always, you know, see eye to eye with us. They're not creepy dead things, you know, stalking us. Um, but at the same time, yeah, there is a lot of there's a lot of wrangling. Um, there's a lot of back and forth with him. I think that storyline mirrors Daenerys's storyline as well, right? Because they're both struggling know, stuck with power. In, yeah, struggling with power and, you know, doing kind of administrative things and, and coming to grips with uh, uh, decisions Being and then getting leader, betrayed yeah. and, and everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, well, it's so inevitably that, you know, four books down the road, they can get married. Right. And be the heroes <laughs> of Westeros. Kill, kill everybody else. Skip Eventually. to the end. Right, right, because he's the actual heir of the Targaryens. And his <laughs> mother is Ned's sister, and his father is the prince uh, uh, Targaryen, who, is, who starts off the, the whole war that leads to the, you know, deposing the king and everything, right? Are I mean, we still going with that true. theory? I, I am. I agree. That's a, that's a plausible theory. I don't we get we get um we get new information about John's mother though in this book, don't we? I feel like there's that there's that entire story about John's mother. Is there? I don't know. I think so. I don't know. There's all I remember when I think of John's mother, all I remember is the first episode of the TV show with Sean being like, no, let's only talk about your mother next time. I'll tell you when I come back. Yeah, yeah. So sad. So let's talk about Jon Snow's end because he's he's stabbed in the end. Cliffhanger. By all his friends. He's stabbed in the back. By all his friends. So here's my problem with it. My problem with it is the same problem I had with the Cersei cliffhanger in the last book. Which is in Game of Thrones, they chop off Ned's head and he's dead, and that's and, and that's you know toward the end of the book, and you're like, how are they going to get out of this one? Oh, geez, he's dead. But but the Cersei thing, and especially with John, I feel like there's so much run up to you, it, and then it's like it's a cliffhanger, John. and there's no way. I mean, either he's, he's not dead, or he's going to transfer his spirit into some other person <laughs> or yeah. whatever. But so so it feels so artificial that it leads to this point and it feels so false that yeah. we're being given a cliffhanger that we know is not going to be paid off whereas with ned it was very clear that he was dead and not coming back so i felt like that was really unnecessary that that if that's what you're building up to is this is the shocking moment that you're not going to really be able to pay off you know i i would really love i was thinking just thinking about this while you're saying that is that I, I really would love this to be end up being the story of all the middlemen who you know keep everything running and like they're they're quite unsung victories. I'm thinking again of of, of one of my other favorite characters, Davos Seaworth, 
Ah, just Anya Knight. Who gets, yeah, who gets Knight. some time in this book? I who, love who, who was, who was killed off off screen in the previous book, and only now do we discover he wasn't killed. It's all part of a plan. Oh, you knew he wasn't killed oh, off in the no, last yeah, book. Yeah, but but I, I, it was like <laughs> no, but there was there was every possibility given Serious? again, like what we've seen, <laughs> yeah. like it could happen. He's not that central of a character. He's a very likable character, but he's not like a central character. Oh. Um. And and I don't know. I, I like the idea of all the middlemen being like, yeah, hey, we're not the big guys in decision making, you know, big guys in power making all the decisions. We just kind of schlep from place to place. But in the end, you know, we're probably the most important people here. <laughs> um, and I also thought, I don't know. What did you guys think? I want to ask you, what did you think of the uh, the Theon storyline? <laughs> oh, my God. Creepy. I, I never thought <laughs> I would feel any sort of um, pity for Theon Greyjoy. But boy, did I pity that poor, yeah. poor bastard. Yeah. That, it was interesting. I mean, it was brutal and and disturbing. Um, See, now that was a great story, though. If you if you take... It was, it yeah. was. It was fascinating. I think yeah. that was the best part of the book. We talked about middles. Theon, Theon's story came to an end, right? He betrayed... Uh, he betrayed the Starks and and all of that, and his story came to an end. and And then with this story, we get a complete story arc from Theon, where he starts at the lowest of the low points, and by the end is is calling himself by his own name again, and has taken uh taken the women and basically jumped jumped out of the castle to run away to to the king. Um, I mean, he's tried. He's tried to atone, right? He's mm-hmm. actually tried to redeem himself. Yeah, yeah. After he's and he's broken and battered, and and, and that and that that's an arc, right? All knocked out. Yeah, like that. That's he starts in one place and ends uh, up in another. Yeah, that. So, so in in this book full of middles, I, I really loved that the the Theon story was an actual story with progression and and consequences, and yeah, that, I I think yeah, maybe that was the best part of the book. I'm trying to think of any others. We we got a others? couple chapters here and there for some people who were in Feast for Crows. We got did we get like one Jamie chapter, maybe two? Jamie, all that happens with Jamie, he goes to negotiate with yeah the with one River Run. Guy, well, and, then, and we and thought then, that we thought that um that the that Brienne was was maybe dead, which again right, is a so false cliffhanger. Yeah, there's no way that that but she shows up at the end, and it's a question. I mean, she might be dead and brought back because that seems well, yeah, to be happening. But do we did they ever resolve? I honestly can't remember because um, at the end of at the end of book three, there's a cliffhanger where it turns out you know, Catelyn's alive, right? Yeah, well, she's the great, she's like the gray lady, the or gray whatever lady, it is. yeah, yeah. She's Stoneheart. Taken, she's gotten right, she's gotten um, essentially resurrected, and so she appears, and yeah, so that that's she's. But we don't see her appear again after that, right? No, uh, yeah, yeah, we do. She she appears here in Feast can't, for Crows, but can't speak, right, or or doesn't speak clearly. Right. Um and that and that's uh and that's obviously where because we see that with Brienne, it's with the the what's the the Brotherhood the uh yeah the, the guys who've turned outlaw Beric Dondarrion and his right his exactly men <laughs> exactly so so um and Thoros and all, all those right. guys right so um that's where Jamie's going it's like Jamie right. go, going and then and uh, Brienne's related and all that but that that's clearly just um you know bridge. A, a chapter to keep it alive and not dealing with it right now. Whereas some of these right. other storylines, like I, I was going to bring up Bran, who kind of yep. vanished, yeah. is back mm-hmm. and he, he and he. That's a bizarre story because he's like led. He and the he's the people from the, the Lowlands are led into the far north by a guy who is apparently a essentially a 
a dead guy or a white walker or whatever he is he's a he's a he's, he's an a, animated corpse but dressed good. as a but functional ranger. yeah and well and, dressed as a ranger and, and and arguably i mean you know my first thought was that it's his uncle yeah yeah benjen who's been disappeared since what book one yeah. two mm-hmm. yeah, he's the beginning of the first book yeah the, yeah the very yeah. beginning so um, that's weird, and then and but that's not the weird part because then and there's a really cool scene where there's like the hillside and it's covered in snow and they try to go up it and it turns out they're like dead bodies everywhere in the snow and they yeah. try to kill them and they go into the cave, and then Bran and his friends get to meet with the tree people who are the yes. children, the children, which is, that that's that was weird stuff. It was very creepy, and then they, yeah. they see the past through the trees. They can kind of interact, but they can't really. It could be crows. Well, and, and the and present too, right? Because he he interacts with um with uh, uh Theon at oh, one point right. yeah. in the Godswood. He actually mm-hmm. sees that, and I mm-hmm. think is it is it with with Cersei too? I mean, there there are several points oh, in the right, book where right, people yeah. are, are by trees, and it's like it is as if, as if the tree is looking at me. <laughs> and it's like that's because it is. Ah, it's it's inside the tree. You know, Bran's whole storyline here actually reminds me of something that happens in Wise Men's Fear, which I'll save for the Wise Men's Fear section of the podcast, but it's, they're parallels. The trees are the security cameras of Westeros. Well, um, and then we have a couple chapters (laughs) from um, Asha Greyjoy's. The Greyjoys in general. Oh, the Greyjoys. Uh, I don't oh, understand. She's, she's, a, she's kind of an interesting character. I, I like her as a character. I think this book, unfortunately, didn't give her a lot to do. Yeah. I liked her as a character before she got her own point of view. I liked her when we <laughs> initially met her through... Too much. Yeah. I had and no then, idea who she was. Yeah, you know, well, this... she's, well, because it was that uninteresting thing in the last book where it's where there's going to be a king's mood and we're going to pick a guy. And she know. says, I'll be the king. And they say, no, you're a girl. You can't be the king. And why <laughs> you? Girl. I'll get you. And then they send her off. And I mean, yeah. So I, I had I, it took yeah, me we have a M- while to f- remember who she was because that wasn't that interesting. The Ironborn and the Dornish do not interest me. Only Michael Dorn. The Dornish makes sense to me because they at least have some power and they seem to be interweaved with the Targaryens in a to a great extent. I mean, right. but yeah. I have no idea why the Ironborn are in this book. Like there were, what, one or two chapters with Victorian or Victarian or Victorian. whatever. Yeah. yeah. All of yeah. the other Greyjoys, I have no idea. Well, he's trying to do the same thing as it's Martell, right? Yes. Uh, everybody, right? He's trying to go marry, marry da- Daenerys. We could understand that. Martell and uh, the missing Targaryen. Yeah. Aegon. We get a couple of chapters of, of Arya, who I do love. I love her, yeah. Remains one of my favorite characters. Right. But the, again, we had that kind of false uh, cliffhanger right. where it was like, ooh, she's blind oh but it's yeah. just temporary she's not yeah she'll she'll get better yeah i mean she's joined she's trying to join an organization that's all about false facing yes. i mean you, you kind of knew from the beginning but no i just i i have no idea why the Greyjoys, with the exception you know with one exception i have no idea why the Greyjoys are have been in this series from the start because Everything I read is just kind of like, okay, well, we already have X people competing for the throne. It would be real. It would really suck if, after you know, eight thousand pages, it turned out that the only reason we'd have to we had to read about the Dornish people and the and the Greyjoys is because in the end, you know, they're needed for some plot complication, and therefore we've spent a thousand pages on them. 
because getting so to know them. That would be too some bad. kind of arcane uh, Westeros law that says when there are two or three kings competing, <laughs> only a Dornishman <laughs> at the ceremony can decide. That's right. On Tuesday. That's that's and Daenerys having like learned all her like lawyerly stuff running that city will exactly. be like all over that. Oh, loophole. Uh, point yeah. of order. honor. I object. It all turns into a courtroom law, law and order Westeros. Yeah, that's oh right. God. That's pretty much it. No, it, the Arya stuff is good because that's a great character. And again, it, it, there's not really much of an arc there, but there's a little bit. I mean, she's learning. She she's, she learns she learns how to follow the guy and 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 assassinate him basically. So there she she has some progression in her character. It, it's a little frustrating because her progression is you will become a faceless assassin. But it's there's no <laughs> doubt that that's important because we had the whole thing in the last book where you know where they're learning to, where all the meisters train and. And and uh, there's the guy who takes the form of the other guy who gets killed in the prologue and all that. So it's clear that th- that's really important for later. It's, but, you know, again, it's that, just that's an interesting point. Too, uh, you, know, now you brought that up. The prologues and epilogues, right? Every book has a prologue and an epilogue and they're always pretty much like one offs, right? One off narrators. Um, and, and Dance of Dragons is no different. At the beginning, we have that the wildling skin changer. Mm-hmm. Right. Who, yes, Varamir takes over all the, the wolves and and tries to eat people and crazy stuff, and then doesn't really become. He's mentioned, I believe, a couple times by the wildings, but not seen again. Right. Um, and then at the end, we have Sir Kevin, um, who's that is actually more of an interesting situation because we also get the surprise return of another character who is totally not in this book, um, Varys. Right. Who sort of squirreled himself away. I kind of like the ep- – I mean, again, he saved all the good stuff for the end. It's like I wanted to read the end of the book and like that's all the, the only part I cared about. Um, but, you know, we have basically the death of a couple major characters right, there. Right, because kill- Varys kills uh, Pycelle and Kevin Lannister, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's all part and- of the plot to uh- – which plot is he a part of? <laughs> so many Varys plots. Is playing his own, I mean, yeah. Varys is playing his own game too, right? Like clearly Just like he's, got, he's got an agenda. Right. I always liked him. I think he's, you know, though he's like totally untrustworthy. I think he's a, I think he's a great character. He's a yeah. fascinating, yeah. yeah. It's nice to see him back. So, um, <laughs> with all of this, all of this said, um, you know, and there is so much, it is a thousand pages long. Um, you know, I, I want to ask about this book in the context of the series because there's really no, only there's no other way to enjoy yeah. it or talk about it or anything. Did you guys get the sense that um because again, I, I alluded to this at the beginning. Um he says, Oh, it's a seven book series, so two more books and it'll all be wrapped up. I read this mm-hmm. book thinking at the pace that he's going, this will take ten more books because yes. I, it felt it's to me like up a the story the fact that well, now I'm concerned that if if he thinks he's got two books to tell the rest of the story, I'm going to feel like we invested you know eight thousand pages to get to a resolution that takes a hundred because because where well, and aren't you also going to feel a little bit that like there's a point where it's just like we have to skip forward like oh yeah two years later yeah it, it just it, it mm-hmm. seems like the pacing is all all off if if this is book five of seven because we don't have uh you know. Watching the watching the the TV show with my wife, she's got these expectations about how Daenerys is going to come to Westeros, and, and I'm sitting there thinking she's never going to come to Westeros. She's still not in Westeros. She may never get to Westeros. It's taken forever. It's like, you know, 
Uh, I think he can he can spend book six kind of bringing everyone together, and then book seven, which could be like you know four thousand pages, uh, finishing yes. the whole thing and tying book, it up. Book seven is just a big party. Book seven, exactly. part one, and book seven, part two, and exactly like the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think he could do it. I don't know if he is discipline enough to do it because uh, i think he enjoys writing this stuff and he thinks about all this cool stuff and he's like oh this is so cool i need to write about you know two characters that right. you've never heard of but i'll have this complicated <laughs> Rock story sweetling exactly and then so <laughs> well, i mean and, it's like he keeps he's still unfolding right exactly. that's what the worry is yeah. like this this world mm-hmm. is still like propagating in some ways and yet we're at the same time we're all going can you rein it in a little bit and sort of focus? Exactly. Let's make a circle. At least with the Bran stuff, I felt like Bran, who has been on a path where they've been taunting us, he's been saying, oh, well, the end of the crow, the three-eyed crow, all that. I feel like we actually got somewhere with that now, yeah. where which was good. That was that felt like forward motion to me. But it just, it, it's, it's so strange that, and he's, you know, he's... This is we're seeing him build it as as he goes, and he releases right. the installments. But and it's, I, I it's just, just have that. a bad There's feeling a about this that that There's he's a, he's gonna. It's not two books worth of story that are left there, to be there, resolved. There's a, there's a great world, but the plot has started to take a back seat to the world building. Well, and some of the and, best characters, right? Like Catelyn, to your point, they kill Catelyn. And it's shocking, and then he makes the point of saying, "Baha, but she's not dead, or she's been resurrected in some way." And then we. Yeah. Essentially, two books go by where she's in one chapter. You know, right? I, and so, what? What was? What? What was yeah. the point? She's just lurking in the background. All will become clear. Well, you'll find out three books from now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you've got these key the kind of key characters in Jamie and this Jamie such, but they can't all be important at the end, right? Like that's yes, uh, yes, they can. You never know. Jamie and Brienne are are really interesting, important characters. They're basically not in this either. And I mean, there's some. I just feel some frustration in that like you've got these really good characters where we're basically not seeing them, and instead you're introducing me to these new characters like these ironborn characters and the dornish characters who are conspiring and and they're just not that interesting and so that that's a frustration and you know i appreciate authors trying to frustrate their readers a little bit in order to tell a good story but when you move you know main characters off the board for you know for a decade that's kind of tough and i think i feel yeah. like he might feel as though his readers will feel ripped off if the book is you know 400 pages long which i don't think necessarily would be a bad thing I don't no, think all of these right. books need to be thousand no. page long. He can tell the story. He can stick to the main characters, progress it yeah. along. I'd be fine with that. If it was 400 good pages as opposed to a thousand, you know, overall mostly mediocre pages with, you know, some good right. pages here and some bad pages there. I think we'd all be like, yeah, that's still pretty I sweet. I just don't <laughs> think that's the, I don't think that's the series he's writing. And I don't think so either. I, I, I think the, I, I think if he gave you 400 pages, it would be 400 pages of the same stuff. So you might as well get a thousand out of it because that's the, <laughs> that's the pace. That's what it's going to be. It's just going to be, he's going to make it up in volume. Yeah. He, yeah. he just, that's the way he's writing it. So Slowly uh, but surely. Um, I mean, he's selling these books at a loss on the plus side. <laughs> apparently he has stated publicly that there are no more new POV characters being introduced after this book and oh, it all is whatever until, yeah. what, until the, the freighter comes to the island and a helicopter drops a few new characters <laughs> off for... oh my god jason you've just spoiled the oh, ending no. of this series it's an island, an island that moves um so in the in the end thousand pages of uh, your time invested in this um what, what do you think what was the what was the verdict about about dance with dragons 
I'll say I enjoyed it, but having now talked about it and realized <laughs> all the issues I had with it, I'm not really in any hurry to go back and read. Like, I thought about rereading this series before because I couldn't remember most of what had happened. And I thought about that and I thought about it a little more. And then I said, you know what? No, I don't. There's not enough time. I just don't care enough. And I think as each book goes on, I think it's unlikely I will ever reread these books. I just kind of want it to be done. I mean, I want it to be done and done well, but I also just kind of want it to be over at this point. <laughs> yeah. As somebody who, you know, I'd read the first two books uh, way back when and then reread the entire series this year. And it took me something like four or five months to finish all of these, including Dance with Dragons. And, you know, they're good stories. They're engrossing. But when I was, you know, Glenn was asking if he should read them because he'd never read them. And I'm like, I have a hard time recommending these books to anybody because it's not, I mean, it's not that they're they're not well written and they don't have interesting concepts. But I'm like, if I if I had spent five months reading, you know, a lot of other really good fiction would i have been just as happy not having this book in my life and not having this book series in my life and i think unfortunately i think the answer is yes i'm like i'm not well, sure if there's anything here that i it's got it's gotten to that hardest to recommend point right like a book if you read a book if there was only a book or two you'd be like oh yeah this is really promising yeah i should tell people to read this or if it was you know over and complete and right. you thought like you would you would have a full picture of it but right now you're in the middle and so it's like right recommending a book to someone while you're in the middle mm -hmm. of it i don't know the whole i got to see how it turns out it's in the balance recommending lost at season 4 <laughs> yeah and i think the game of thrones the the whole series now is in this interesting kind of cultural inflection point right because people who would never in a thousand years read a fantasy novel are picking up a Game of Thrones because of the HBO series, which I think is great because it opens them up to a new genre. Um, but I think, on the other hand, if I were George, George R. R. Martin, I would feel or, an incredible amount. Or George amount, R. Banks. Or George, George R. Martin. <laughs> if I were anybody, um, I would feel an incredible amount of pressure to 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 you know live up to these people's expectations. And I think the first book was the best book out of the the five so far. So, kind of, I don't know. Uh, it, it's a tough spot for him to be in. Of course, you know, he can cry on giant piles of money. But Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. And I, I think I kind of agree with that, that this was – there were parts of it that I really liked and parts of it that I felt frustrated by. And I, it reminded me of what I like about the series. And it made me think, you know, again, nervous thoughts about the building of this of, of this series and how it's going to get resolved. But – um. But I still like the series, and I'll buy the next. I'll be there. I'll buy the next book when it and comes. I, I'm in it for the long haul. You're invested, yeah, exactly. right? Like at this point, throwing it away. I mean, I threw away. I threw away Wheel of Time after seven books, and I don't regret that. But you know, who knows? That, that was a smart plan as someone who has read all of them. Oh. Yeah, my friend keeps trying to convince me, like, oh yeah, the last ones, but the ones that have been written by the other guy. Like, oh, yeah, they're actually pretty good. I'm like, I'm not going four more books of crap <laughs> just to hit two books that you think are all right. <laughs> read some of his original fiction. Yeah. And, and this is why I don't read the Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, all of those books are are enjoyable. You know, they have some crappy parts, but mm -hmm. I would say each individual book is lighthearted enough and fun enough that you don't regret reading them. Yeah. I read the first one, and I regret it. All right, so we're going to stop it there. We're going to press save on this edition of the Incomparable Podcast. We're going to bring John Syracuse back in, and in our next episode, we will talk about Patrick Rothfuss's sequel to The Name of the Wind called The Wise Man's Fear. But until then, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank my guests, 
uh, John Syracuse, Serenity Caldwell, Dan Morin, and Scott McNulty. For the Incomparable Podcast, I'm Jason Snell. We'll see you next time. <laughs>